This is Dave Swift, and you're listening to No Good Music. We have a special guest with us today. He's the bass player in Jules Highland's band, which are about to go on tour. He's also part of the great British music TV show called Later with Jules Highland. He's performed with many legendary musicians, such as Tom Jones, Paul Simon, Cher, and even Sir Paul McCartney. Let's welcome to No Good Music, Mr. Dave Swift. <laughs> the crowd goes wild. Live before a studio audience. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're in England right now. That's right. I'm in uh, southeast London, to be specific. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Haven't got there yet. I've, uh, I've toured Scotland, but I've not even set my feet in England yet. So maybe oh, someday. Really? Okay. okay. Yeah. 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 Well, um, yes, I, I, I was born over here. No, I wasn't born in London, of course. I did, I did move here at some point. But, I, yeah, I've been in London, <clears throat> I think, since 1988 was when I moved. Okay. So. We want to start out talking about your early beginnings. You had two brothers who played yeah. guitar, and you decided to take up the trombone. Mm -hmm. how, long, how long did that last, and <laughs> when, did, when did you begin learning the bass? <clears throat> okay, well, yeah, you're right. My, my two older brothers, mm -hmm. uh, and they still do play guitar, but they never played uh, professionally. It was just okay. a hobby for them. And I had a go on the guitars when I was younger, and you know it was fun, but I didn't really have that, you know, that you get that draw with certain instruments. They yeah. really draw you in. And I didn't really kind of get it with the, with the guitar. So, um, but I used to sing a lot. I sang in the school choir. I sang in the church choir. So, so the, the voice thing was happened way before I took up an instrument. Mm -hmm. But um, what happened is when I went to secondary school, uh, which I guess is high school. Uh, yeah. in, in the mm -hmm. States. I, um, I've been watching a program called Top of the Pops on TV, yes. very popular live yeah. music program. And, uh, and, and I was more fascinated with the, with the guys that were playing horns, you know, trumpet and mm -hmm. saxophone and whatever, you know, than, than anything else. And especially the saxophone, I thought, well, that looks super cool, really kind of shiny, and it looks, mm -hmm. it looks great. So when I went to secondary school, I asked... If, if I could play that. And they said, oh, we, we don't have any saxophones there. You know, my parents took me to one of these open evenings where you got all these instruments lying around. So no saxophone, that's the question. They, mm -hmm. they, there was a trombone there. And I thought, wow, that looks <laughs> even more cool. Sax. What, the, what on earth is that with this big yeah. slide thing? <laughs> no buttons. But then I went, okay, but that's exactly. I, and, he, he, you know, and, and I like weird and quirky stuff, you know, so, so that's why I chose that. But then they only had one. They gave that to another guy. I ended up with a euphonium, um, which, you know, I didn't know anything about. You know, obviously euphonium is like a tiny tuba. And, uh, okay. and I started to study with this because I thought to myself, well, it, you know, let, let's give this a go. But I realized that I wasn't going to be able to use it to play kind of in a pop band or a rock band or a funk band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There aren't many euphonium <laughs> players around, you know. It was, it's pretty much like a brass band instrument. So after studying for about six months, I, I packed it in. I, I just thought, oh, this isn't working out because this is so far from playing the saxophone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I, and I didn't, that was it. For me, unfortunately, that was the end of my musical studies uh, at school. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I didn't, I kind of gave up on it after that. I was kind of quite disillusioned and I was very good at sports. So that's where I put my focus. Yeah. I, I, I was actually a, a very, very average academic student. So sports is where I excelled. Fast forward to when I was 14 now. So we've mm-hmm. jumped from 11 to mm-hmm. 14. Okay. Yeah, and you've jumped in um, height there too, I'm sure, at age 14. <laughs> exactly that, yeah. <laughs> I'm still one of the smallest ones. I'm six foot three, and I'm still one oh, of the wow. smaller ones in my family. <laughs> wow. But anyway, um, when I was 14, I, and I really was struggling at school, I wasn't enjoying it, I wasn't enjoying the academic studies, I wasn't even studying music. I didn't even take that as an academic subject because I, I thought, how is that going to get me a job? How mm-hmm. ironic. so um so anyway uh, the kid that got the trombone back he he carried on studying it all those years and and i said to him one day i said well how how is that are you enjoying it you know he said yeah it's great fun he said and the best thing is you get to miss an academic subject each week to study oh Uh, so this this sounds good (laughs) i like the sound of it yeah so I thought I'm going to give this one more try. I was 14, and I went along to the to see the trombone teacher at the time, and he didn't want to take me on because he said you're too old, 14. Uh-huh. But that wasn't his decision. That was the school's decision. Anyway, he let me have one. He showed me how to play it. He said, come back in two weeks, and let's see what happens. He thought I was going to come and sound lousy. But mm-hmm. what he didn't realize was I fell in love with the instrument, and I went home, and I practiced, and I went <laughs> crazy with it. So when I came mm-hmm. back, I could – and he went, okay. <laughs> he can play. Uh, yeah, and that was it. I, I I became his pupil. So for the next two years at school, I, I was studying intensively trombone, like classical technique and everything. Um, and then some of us in the school band, uh, yes, and I was playing in all sorts, sorts of bands with it, like, uh, you know, concert bands, wind bands, orchestras, stage bands, <laughs> funk bands. I was in like a <laughs> funk horn section, playing wow. like open and fire, you know. And I thought this is fantastic, you know, but then some friends of ours at school, we formed an offshoot of the school band and we had every instrument other than the bass. Mm-hmm. So, and, I, and to this day, I still don't know why I volunteered, but I went, yeah, I, I'll give it a go. You know, maybe I was kind of feeling super confident because I, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. the, the trump. The, 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 you know. <laughs> so then, so, so yeah, so I, I then got a bass guitar um, and then my trombone teacher heard me play in the in the music department and he said wow he said you know you're making good progress on that as well he said if you take if you take up uh, acoustic double bass as well you'll get lots more work because uh, he, he said to me he said uh, you know every band needs a bass player not every band needs a bone player yeah, yeah. oh yeah uh, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah so i took up the bass i was still at school so i was like 15 but I completely self-taught uh, on the bass. But what I was able to do is to take all the trombone knowledge and put it on to the to the bass guitar. So I could read like four different clefs from being a trombonist. So there was nothing that I couldn't read as a, as a bass player. All I had mm-hmm. to do was to learn where the notes were. You, yeah. You know, so, yeah. So all that was still happening while I was still at school. So all that you learned with reading music um, mm-hmm. from... Uh, the trombone, you're able to apply that uh, easily, uh, not without too much difficulty to the bass. Yeah, yeah, because when I was a trombonist, the range of the instrument is so vast. I had to play four clefs, so alto, literally treble, alto, tenor, and mm-hmm. bass clef. 
uh, and I had to read all of those and, and uh, lots of different music and very complicated stuff and, you know, with great range, whatever. So when I came to sort of, you know, play the best, it was, <laughs> one of the first things I had to play was like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and I'd, I'd already been like on the trombone playing stuff way, way more complex, you know. Right, so you're hearing yeah, you're hearing so much more than that. You can do that. You're doing it, but you're here. You're probably hearing and creating all this other stuff while you're playing that. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it strikes me a, a lot of bass players that you hear, especially the great sort of virtuosic ones and, and and the great soloists. A lot of the time, you know, bass wasn't their first instrument. They came to it via something else. I'm a big fan of the late Scott Lafaro, the great, great jazz double bass legend that that played with, famously played with Bill Evans. And many others. And Scott was a, I think he played clarinet and saxophone before he switched bass. And if you listen to him on the bass, he's playing so melodically uh, and, and very complex harmonically as well. So I think, you know, coming from an instrument is, is a huge, was a huge benefit for me. And also, you know, with, with the great thing with the trombone is that there's no set positions on the trombone slide. Mm-hmm. So when I took up bass guitar, early on, I started to play fretless. And of course, double bass is a fretless instrument anyway. Mm -hmm. So the trombone was the perfect instrument to to make that transition because none of these instruments have set positions on there. Right, right. It's all about, it's it's good ears and it's about muscle memory. Mm -hmm. Right. So for me, that that was a huge, huge help, I think, playing that first, you know. Right. So... For some of our listeners who aren't musicians, uh, it's important to note that you you have to picture the the frets on a guitar, uh, mm-hmm. and and that's like you know keys on a piano. It's on or off. You know you're there or you're not. You're there nice and clear or you're not. But with mm-hmm. the uh, with the trombone and the bass, you are moving, sliding to with muscle memory or with that constant feedback from your ear to your brain to your fingers. It's that constant feedback. Okay to get the exact notes. And uh, that's a really yeah, great point. You know, I didn't, I didn't think about that until you said that. I mean, yeah, because the trombone, it's such a unique instrument in the brass world. It's the only one that has got The only one. Um, yeah, you know, so, and you're making little microtonal adjustments as well all the time, whether it's on trombone or fretless or bass. Not everyone hits the note spot on the first time, but the, the skill is realizing that <laughs> and making that adjustment mm-hmm. as quick as you possibly can. <laughs> Just, yeah. that's, that's interesting. The key thing about playing a fretless and upright the trombone, you know, it's, it's not always possible to hit it bang on each and every time. So you just make those mini adjustments, but it's how quickly that you realize it and how quickly you execute it. That's the key. Yeah. And to clarify, the, the double bass is also known as the upright bass. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, yeah. A- Do you know what? Even to this day, I'm I'm still... Uh, there's so many names for it, but okay. people, yeah, people. So yeah, it, it's the it's the acoustic bass, but some people still call it acoustic bass. Uh, string bass is what a lot of people refer to it because obviously in, in jazz originally there was a tuba and the tuba, which I also play incidentally, um, but the tuba was the original bass instrument. So when the double bass took over to differentiate which type of bass it was, people did call it string bass. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but upright as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's that's quite a popular thing. Although the an upright could also mean an electric upright bass, like a stick bass as well. So 
Yeah, and you uh, you actually own a variety of bases of types. I'm sure you do. <laughs> In fact, yeah, you just saw a post. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Today uh, you posted something. So tell us about tell us about your your collection or what you posted on. Uh... <laughs> there was a display. I want tell us about that. Yeah, of bases with your picture. Oh, yeah, that, that was um, that was a, a, from from a Nam show. Uh, I can't remember what year it was. I, I think oh, okay. it might have just been COVID. But um, yeah, yeah, because because I do own a lot of basses. I probably own about a hundred bass guitars. Oh, wow! I've got mm. six or seven electric upright basses. I've got a couple of double basses. But a lot of the instruments are, are vintage. But um, years ago, I, I just fell in love with collecting vintage I Ibanez mm. basses. You know, I really sort of took to them. And I've got lots and lots of vintage ones from the late seventies early 80s. Uh, and then Ibanez saw me using these instruments and they said, wow, thanks so much for bringing attention to our brand. Would you like to play some of the newer instruments? And I hadn't mm -hmm. checked Ibanez out for the longest time. My first five-string bass was an Ibanez. Five, yeah, five-string bass. Um, and that was back in the 80s. But then for years, the, the brand went up the radar for me. You know, so, mm -hmm. so when they saw me playing these vintage instruments, they said, try some of the new ones out and and I did particularly the six string models and I I love them you know I thought mm -hmm, these yeah. are these are great so <laughs> I wouldn't call myself a poster boy as such I wouldn't I wouldn't dream of it but um, but Ibanez very kindly featured me on one of their big banners on Amsha mm -hmm. cool very cool uh, you know and I think it's got sort of my name and Jules Holland's name underneath because obviously that's that's my main gig so yeah, yeah so since since 2016, I've been officially using and endorsing Ibanez. So they, okay. uh, yeah, they've been very um, supportive using me on their NAM show uh, backdrops and posters, whatever. So that's that's what mm -hmm. I posted today from the previous NAM show. Do you play electric uh, without the acoustic body? Do you play both in performing or you pretty much uh, go with um, acoustic? You were talking about having uh, some... Upright electric, I believe. Uh... Sure, sure. Well, yeah, that's a good question because when I um, when I was younger, I pretty much just used to play acoustic double bass, traditional double bass, and bass guitars, and that was it. Uh, mm -hmm. And then when I got the Jules uh, in nineteen ninety one, he he was looking for a double bass player. Mm -hmm. The the bass player before me was Pino Palladino, mm -hmm. uh, who who I'm sure we've all heard of. <laughs> uh, Pino is a good friend of mine. In fact, Pino and I used to be neighbours uh, in southeast London back in the 90s. But Pino only used to play bass guitar, so Jules wanted someone who played uh, double bass, and, and that's how I got the Jules gig, really. Mm -hmm. But then what happened is I'd never played in, in venues that large before and had to play music to that volume. So I, used to, I was struggling trying to amplify mm -hmm. the double bass. Mm -hmm. It was a real nightmare, like feedback issues and all, all sorts of things. And I was buying all these electronic uh, devices to try and get rid of feedback and all that stuff. And then by the time you had made all these adjustments, the, the instrument didn't sound like an acoustic place yeah, yeah. anymore. You know? So, But I, I persevered for a couple of years. And then um, when, when people started to make more of the electric uprights and they got better, I said to Jules, listen, do you mind if I switch to one of these things? Because they're not acoustic, but they've still got a piezo pickup. They've still got the same scale length as a double bass. They've got the same strings. And, and, and I'm sure that I got it to sound as close as possible 
to a real double bass. Mm-hmm. And and it became like it was it was the perfect thing to have. The vo- like I said, I, I, I was then getting the volume I needed. There was no feedback. It meant I could leave it with the crew, and if it got a bit bashed or scratched, mm-hmm. whatever, yeah. it didn't matter. You know, instead of it worrying about like, it all the time, right? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't giving the, the the crew a really old, extremely excessive double bass anymore. You know, so so yeah. To be honest with you, when I tour with Jules now, the 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 stick bass, as some people call it, electric upright bass. Okay, that's what I use more. Um, than any, anything else, and with the, with the, with my double bass, I tend to use that for more um, controlled, quieter situations. In other words, some TV stuff, definitely album recordings, small small groups. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. if I'm doing in London, I'll always use the double bass. But for for touring with Jules, the rigors of of the road, the electric upright bass is is the idea. Voice, you know, and and yeah. you know, and I think I'm pretty sounding pretty close to to uh, an amplified double bass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for explaining that. And it's the the stick bass. Yeah, it's a it's a stick. So <laughs> well, the one I use, you know, it's got a it's got a couple of shoulders on it. So when you when you play it, there is some tactile reference. Right. That's helpful. To it, yes. You know? Yes. You know, because the, the shoulders on it, you know, they make contact with your body where the shoulders of an actual double bass would be, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, some of them don't have that. Some of them are just the stick or some of okay. them are on a, on a stand and yeah. you approach mm-hmm. it and there's there's no reference points right. at all. But the one I had, shoulders either side of it, uh, which is helpful because when you're playing in thumb position and you start to play higher up, you know, you, your, your arm hits one of the shoulders, which is like a... It's a reference point to where yeah, you are right. on the neck. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, you... so, yeah so, some are better than others, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, can you adjust the height? On I know you said you're six foot three. Do you think it helps that you're yeah that tall, or are they adjustable? <laughs> oh, God. Like, no, no, it's it's absolute nightmare. Do you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, my my eldest brother's six foot six. I don't know how he he gets on, but I have to say, be being tall. Is has never been very helpful okay. to me. I'll be honest. When I, I mean, I love basketball. I'm a big, mm-hmm. big basketball fan. The irony is that if I was a pro basketball player, I'd be the shortest guy on the court. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> basketball is tiny. Mm-hmm. It's tiny, you know. But um, thing is, it's still. I, I guess the average height for a person, it's still on the tall side. So the problem I've always had with um, with upright bases is the the end pin that you you use to adjust the height is never long enough. Mm-hmm. Oh, so okay. on every upright base I, I own, I've had to have custom end pins made. <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, and also I stand on one of these vibrating platforms on stage. Okay. Because I use, I use in-ear monitors, and I use the the platform to help with the oh. the vibrational yes. thing, you know. So yes, what it means is it means you can yeah. I've still got a rig there. I've still got a rig behind me, but with with the in-ears, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. it makes you feel a bit isolated. So yeah. I stand on this platform that vibrates when I play, oh. and it makes your body think you're you're playing uh, in front of a much bigger bigger oh, okay. rig, you know. Yeah. So. So that lifts me even higher off the floor. So I'm standing on that, and I'm, <laughs> then, I'm then putting like six or eight or something. You know, so you know the having the end pin. Yeah, I had to have them custom made to get it high enough. That's, yeah. that's the thing. So 
1991, that's when you auditioned for Jules Holland. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your first audition, what that was like, how you heard about sure. it? Or... Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So when I moved to London in 88, I, I, I moved here because I'd already been a pro musician for like uh, seven years or something like that. But the work I was doing, it was great. I was doing cruise ships. Mm -hmm. uh, I was doing theater work. Stuff and it was it was great fun. I was seeing the world and I was earning money, but um, it wasn't overly fulfilling musically, uh, you know. And I was at home listening to Jacob Astorius and Stanley Clark yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And I was trying to play that all of that music. And I thought to myself, well, I'm not going to get to play anything like this if I keep doing cruise ships, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And, and and shows and stuff like that. So I so I moved to to London. Because I thought there's going to be more opportunities there, and uh, and I started to do jazz gigs, you know, mm -hmm. and and I made sure that I did gigs where I wasn't reading because I could already do that. I was always a, a good sight reader, and I thought, well, if I come to London, starting that again, I'm going to get I'm going to get asked to do the same stuff, you know, mm -hmm. maybe yeah. West End shows or, or or that kind of thing. Not as though there's anything wrong with that, but I wanted to do, you know, I wanted to work with improvising musicians, creative musicians. Mm -hmm. So I started to do jazz gigs, mm -hmm. uh, predominantly on double bass, because that's what people wanted. But the fact that I was, that I could play both double bass yes. and bass guitar was, was a big advantage, you know, because back then not, not many people doubled up. Huh. You know, there, there, was, mm -hmm. there was a small group of guys that were good bass guitarist a small group playing double bass but there, there were even less guys doing both so that was yeah. a big advantage for me so yeah i was doing jazz gigs uh and, and i was kind of loving it sort of improvised music playing with very uh creative players one of the guys i was working with was a saxophone player and he had already got the gig with jules mm -hmm. uh now the bearing in mind back then this is so this is late 80s early 90s Jules wasn't the person he is now. Yeah. He wasn't as famous as he is now because he'd been with that, you know, the band Squeeze, the oh, British yeah. pop group. Yeah, we love Squeeze, yeah. You know, well, he was he was a founding <laughs> member, right? And yeah. he, was, he was only yeah, on the exactly. first, I think, three albums mm -hmm. of, of Squeeze. Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. So um, so what happened is that but Jules kept leaving Squeeze and then going back. Okay. And then leaving and going okay. back. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think they were thrilled at this, uh, you know, because it was obviously, are you going to stay or what, what's going on? You know? yeah. But anyway, um, when he eventually left, you know, he he didn't have his TV show that he has now. He, so he was starting from scratch. He didn't have a radio okay. show. He didn't have a TV show. He wasn't the, the household name that he is. Yeah. Uh, right. So... Well, and, and the band was smaller as well. It was a nineties band. It was five rhythm and four horns. It was not as big as it is today. It was very, very small. So this sax player had already got the gig with Jules. And then Jules had obviously, Pino had left. Uh, and then Jules had said to the guys in the band, listen, if any of you know a bass player, particularly who plays double bass, mm -hmm. let me know. Yeah. So this sax player said, yeah, Jules is looking for a bass player. Do you want to, do you want to give it a try? So, now, you have to bear in mind that I was really happy suffering from my art at that point. <laughs> you know, I wasn't earning a lot of money. In fact, I was probably earning less money than I'd ever earned in my life. <laughs> but musically and spiritually, I was, I, I was as happy as I'd ever been because I was playing this great music, 
called Jazz. Yeah. And, and also, like I said, Jules wasn't as famous as he is now. You know, he didn't have the TV show. So so when I got asked, I, I was kind of very casual about it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give it I'll a give go. Give it a try. Quite yeah, nonchalant. Yeah. 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 Quite nonchalant. Mm-hmm. So anyways, um, I was living in southeast London, not where I am now, because where I live now is very close to Jules' studio. From my mm-hmm. house now, it's a, in a car. It's about a 10-minute drive maximum. Okay. Back then, it was probably about a half an hour drive. So I went to the same studio, and there was, I'm there with my double bass. There was Jules was there, and the guitar player uh, too. And he's still the same guitar player to this day. And I had no clue what we were going to play. And Jules said, let's just jam. Let's just, mm-hmm. just do this. So we started that's, to play some That's stuff wide open, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wide open, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> you know, no, no, no cues or anything like that. Let's just do this. And, um, uh, yeah, and then we we must have played. I don't know how long we played for. Maybe half an hour, maybe longer, mm-hmm. but, but something like that. And anyway, we, when we finished, you know, Jules turned around to me. Um, and he seemed he seemed happy. You know, he did, he wasn't looking at me with horror or anything like that. <laughs> and um, he said, "That's that's really great, you know." But we we do have a few other people that we 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 need to look at. You know, yeah. Now that to me sounded like you're it's not like sort of from giving again. someone the elbow. Yeah. 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 Thank exactly. you for your time. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, next. <laughs> you know. So, and I, you know what? It didn't kind. Of, it didn't really bother me, you know, because again, this was 1991. This Jules wasn't who he is now. He didn't have mm-hmm. the TV show. Whatever. And I was packing my bass away, and he went outside with a guitar player. They came back in, and Jules said, "Oh, you know what? What the heck? You know, the gig's <laughs> yours. You know, wow. we start to <laughs> a couple of weeks." And he gave me a, a big sort of a shopping bag full of cassette tapes of, of <laughs> big, sure of you know, big, big, it was a big old bag of it. Like yeah, I'm picturing that, yeah, uh, yeah, like Santa Claus carries or something. Yeah, yeah and cassettes as well. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and so he said, here's some recordings of live gigs and whatever, you know, have a listen to that. And then we start touring in a, in a couple of weeks. And, and that was it. And interestingly, wow. I am the only one, I'm the only person in that band that's ever had to audition. Nobody mm-hmm. else has had to do an audition in that band. Yeah. And so, so in other words, everyone else got the gig just by recommendation. Mm-hmm. But Jules trusted the recommendations. I think with me, because the bass for Jules is really important. It's it's a crucial instrument to Jules. And, and obviously he had Pino Palladino before me. He didn't. He wanted to make sure that he got someone who was as good as Pino. Mm-hmm. He didn't want yeah. anyone that was worse. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So, and, and obviously, from the piano player's point of view, you know, he's playing bass stuff in the left hand as well. He wanted to make sure that we, you know, we didn't clash and we we were on the same page. Kind mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm to this day. I'm the only person that's had to do an official audition yeah. to get the Jules Holland yeah. gig. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So that was back in '91. So I pretty much went there. On the spot, almost. It took him your... like five minutes to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was with your friend's recommendation, who you said was already in the band. Mm-hmm. If you walked in like a stranger, you may not have gotten the gig, too. Yeah. He tr- maybe trusted yeah, you. If if I'd have just, yeah. yeah, if I'd been like yeah. a number of people that had just maybe heard about it on the grapevine, or maybe if they'd have put an advert in the newspaper. Yeah. So I think getting the recommendation in the first place uh, was was a big uh, was a big help. Mm. But but Jules still he wanted to hear me. He wanted to see 
mm-hmm. exactly what I could do. So, yeah, so that was back in 91. And then the gigs were very modest at the time. There were small venues, very, very small venues. And, you know, no, nothing that prestigious, really, like a lot of college gigs, university mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then the weirdest thing happened <laughs> that shocked <laughs> everybody was the following year in 1992, um, Jules got asked to present this TV later. And it then yeah. became later with Jules Holland, this live mm-hmm. music TV show, which is still going to this day. And then uh, most of the band come on the TV show. They're, they're self-contained. They've got all the, the musicians they need. Yeah. But when the TV first, uh, when it first started, some of the artists would come over from all over the world and they couldn't bring their band with them or they couldn't so you bring would, any back. Yeah, in. so yeah. you would be, be Jules' band was yeah. the band, the yeah. house band. Sort of. yeah, well, yeah, but but not even, actually not even the band. It was more like <clears throat> individuals, you know. Okay. It was more we got we got called on an individual basis. And wow. it, for me, it was great. It's more often than not, people wanted a bass player because yeah. you've already got Jules playing the piano. Mm-hmm. So... so I, I nearly always got the call. Someone always needed a, a bass player. So we, you know, I, well, I started to get these phone calls saying, oh, you know, um, Eric Clapton's going to be on the show. Can you, are you available to play with Eric? You know, we've got BB King, we've got Jeff Beck. Wow. Are, are you free? Are, are you okay to do that? <laughs> I'm thinking. Jeff Beck is beckoning. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. When you, when you are, um, it sounds like a redundant question here, but. It's important to me. So when you're when you're on stage doing this, where you're talking about right now, this is all not reading, right? This is all uh, this is all improv, right? This is all by ear. Is that right? It depends, and that's yeah. a very good question. There's some. Um, here's the thing with the Jules gig, right? So there's only really me in the horn section that can read music, or we can sight read music. Mm-hmm. So the Jules. Jules does read to some extent, but he's not really a reader. Jules is much more about playing by ear. Mm-hmm. And our drummer, Jules's brother, plays organ with us, and our guitarists—they are non-readers, mm-hmm. complete non-readers. Okay, mm-hmm. so so what happens is, I mean, I, I mean, I play by ear like a, a lot, so mm-hmm. I have a problem with it. But the thing is, especially on the TV show, a lot of the people that we play for the bass parts, unless it's if it's a blues. Or an RB thing, it's not so much. But when when you're playing with people like Al Jarreau and Shaka Khan and George Benson, and you're playing mm-hmm. quite complex stuff, and also you're playing songs where the bass is quite specific, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you know, if you're playing things like with Shaka Khan, "Ain't Nobody," "I'm Every Woman," all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff, yeah. the bass parts are probably more crucial than anything else yeah, there. Right, know? that can't be off. It can't be a different placement of, no. of the notes no, it needs to be, be specific because yeah, yeah because I, i'm not touring with jack khan i'm not touring with yeah. george yeah. benson but you know <laughs> mm-hmm. we've got this one opportunity to play an iconic track yeah. and it's it's for a one-off show so that yeah. needs to be as accurate as authentic mm-hmm. yeah it's got to sound iconic. like the original you've not you've not been the playing, song yeah yeah you've not been playing this constantly for for months so, and years well songs That's that fine. people people know they, yeah, it has to sound. Yeah, it's got to be correct. <laughs> Pretty accurate. They're, they're, they're hearing it, the one-off version of it, and, and, and mm-hmm. they want like a, almost like a jukebox version. They oh, yeah. don't want me, Dave, playing my interpretation of yeah, what this yeah. should be and showing off. 
that's, yeah, that's yeah, not that's, what it is. So, that's yeah. a very interesting interpretation. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, because if, if, I, if I was, you know, if I was fortunate enough to be in Shaka Khan's band, then, yeah, you'd probably learn the original and then I doubt very much whether I, mm-hmm. I would do the same thing later on. You know, you'd, you'd elaborate. But if you're just doing a one-off TV show, my thought is, you know, as accurate as possible, as close to the right. original recording, you know, make it mm-hmm. authentic and, and iconic. You know? So mm-hmm. so what I would do, and I still do this today, I meticulously transcribe every bass line that I've ever played on Jules' TV show. And I've oh. literally got oh. thousands, oh. thousands oh. of handwritten transcriptions. Of, of every artist that I've ever played with, whether it's Paul McCartney or uh, Amy Winehouse, Adele, you know. So, because for me, that's a good starting point. If I get the the baseline transcribed note for note off the original, then I know that I can't go wrong with the artist because if I if I then turn up with the transcription and I play it, and, and more often than not, they won't say anything. But it's no news is good news. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because if they don't yeah. say anything, that means everything's... It went great. But okay. Yeah, occasionally, you know, the artist will say, look, Dave, you know, you don't have to play exactly what's on the record. You know, mm-hmm. you can free it up a little bit. Okay. And I'm fine with doing that, no problem. But if I started off from that angle, if I just kind of play anything, and yeah, you know, this is close enough. This mm-hmm. is this is in the ballpark. Mm-hmm. And then I get on that TV show and I start to do that. And somebody comes over and says, Dave, that's that's not what's on the record. Yeah, that's not the that's not the original bass part, you know. Then I'm, yeah, I was going to use no, well, yeah, I'm compromised. I was going to use a, a swear word. Then I was. Oh, saying, you can you um, can swear. But yeah, because, <laughs> we 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 mark well, it. Yeah, yeah, you can say whatever you want here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, but but I would be in big trouble there because because if because if I then haven't learned it properly and I haven't say transcribed it and I'm just kind mm-hmm. of. Yeah, this is close, and they're not happy. Then, then that that's that's a problem, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, whatever happens, whatever happens, I always start with the transcription. Yeah. It's, it's just what I or do. At least have it have it there. Yeah, yeah. In you, case they say you you can yeah, go up, so you can reference. So yeah, you so have we, both options. Yeah, yeah. yeah, both options are there, and you're confident yeah. in both. That's that's the best way. That's yeah. right. So so he so and for me, I just love doing transcriptions. I, I find them fascinating. I mean, I've got folders at home. <laughs> of, I've got a Jacko folder. You know, I've got an uh, Anthony Jackson folder. You know, and I just love doing transcriptions because it's great for your ears. Yeah, it's great for your for your writing and your, your musical knowledge and, and inspiration. Mm-hmm. So I do it anyway because I just enjoy it. And I always say with transcriptions, the the hard work is its own reward. You know, there's mm-hmm. nothing bad about doing it. doing transcriptions. You're only ever going to learn from them. They're only mm-hmm. ever going to be beneficial mm-hmm. if you can do them. If you have a skill. Now, uh, you know, you mentioned it briefly. What happens next? So here's the thing: if when we do Jules' TV show, there's often little or no time, rehearsal time. Mm-hmm. It's very, very super last minute, that show. So if I play on that show, you, you know, the call I get is is just a couple of hours before the broadcast, you know, oh, maybe wow. a couple, two or three hours and stuff, you know. And then you have a quick couple of run-throughs, and that's it. And then the next thing, you're playing it. Now, depending on how complex the thing that I'm playing. I, I've definitely used charts on Jules' show. If, if, I, if I felt that there wasn't enough time, 
to really nail the part and to really feel comfortable with it. I'll have a chart somewhere and discreetly, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll try not to, you know, it'll be <laughs> off to the side or something. Or put, or sometimes I'll put it on a monitor. I'll put it on the, the wedge monitors. Mm -hmm. Or on your arm. Um, but other times, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> in, in, inside of my glasses. Yeah. 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 Of yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, but, but, but then if, if it's not too difficult, I, I'll still have the trans. I still, I've still done the transcription. I always do them. But then, if it's not too difficult, I'll, I'll not, not use it. You know, I'll just put mm -hmm. it to one side and just, and just remember it. You know? mm -hmm. It really depends on the complexity of the baseline or the song, and how much time we've got to, to rehearse it. You know, mm -hmm. uh, like I said, I'd, I'd rather not take dance if it's really complex, and I feel as though I haven't been given enough time to do it mm -hmm. i mean a good example of this is when we played uh, we did we did later jules once and the guest was Smokey robinson and it was going to be me jules the guitarist and the drummer from jules's band and the guitarist could make it so jules we needed to find a guitar player jules said to me he said um who are we going to get he said i you know we've got to play with Smokey robinson we need to get this other and he's asking me for recommendations and i knew mm -hmm. lots of players they're, if they're listening to this, they're probably going to kill me that I didn't <laughs> recommend them now. <laughs> but I just thought to myself, you know, if I get this wrong, if yeah. I kind oh, of yeah. listen <laughs> and there's a personality thing, you know, mm -hmm. um, clash or whatever. So I said to Jules, listen, man, you, you choose someone. I'd feel happier. It's your TV show. You choose them, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and Jules came back and he said, oh, man, he said, this has been tough. He said, I've been really struggling. I've been really struggling to find a good guitarist. I said, well, please tell me you've got someone to play with Smokey Robinson. Mm -hmm. He said, yeah, I've got someone. But I, he said, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. I said, Jesus, who, who did you get? He said, uh, Eric Clapton. He said, I hope that's okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Eric Clapton. And, and, did that go, and did that go well? Was that a good, was that a good show? Yeah, yeah. So, so here's the weird thing that happened, though. And, and this is going on to the preparation right so when we got to the studio at like four o'clock five o'clock in the afternoon bear in mind the show gets recorded around eight o'clock uh when we got there we were all at x there you know and we worked with him before so it was nice to see him again and he he, he asked me if i'd be okay with sitting down next to him he didn't mm -hmm. want to play standing yeah. up i mm -hmm. sat with him i'm playing bass guitar and we were told that we weren't going to get to rehearse with Smokey robinson because his flight into london had come in late he wanted yeah. to have a a snooze in his mm -hmm. hotel. <laughs> so the first time that we were going to see him was when Jules announces him on the oh, wow. TV floor, oh, yeah. live TV. Mm -hmm. And that's the first time that we were going to see him, you know. So we kind of ran through the song mm -hmm. on our own. But Eric, well, the whole time he's looking to me, kind of going, he, is this, this is crazy. This is insane. He said, I can't <laughs> believe we're not going to rehearse with the guy. This yeah, is this one run through. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We've got to play this song with him. I've got to do a solo in it, and we're not even going to rehearse with the guy. And I and I just yeah. turned around to Eric and I said, "Listen, this this is what happens. This is how it is. You know, yeah. you should have said it is." But he, he, come on, you're Eric Clapton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, <laughs> you can, you can get through this. <laughs> yeah. So so that was that, you know. And we so sure enough, we we he came onto the TV floor. We started to play. We did the song with him, and at the end of it. Uh, Smokey came over to me and Eric and he gave us both a big hug and he said, man, that was so beautiful, guys. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much. And then he walked off and that was it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. That. Yeah. 
That's a good confirmation. So, affirmation. So, like I said, yeah, well, it's, you know, it's very, sometimes it is, that it's not like really that slick often, more often than not, it's not mm. super slick and super mm-hmm. rehearsed and carefully mm-hmm. planned. It's kind of quite, sort of, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know right. what the word is, a little bit haphazard. Or... Which is similar to your audition. You know, this is some real life lessons here. <laughs> uh, you were relaxed for your audition. Those who go for job interviews, the more you can walk it off Take it light, be relaxed, be yourself. You're going to succeed. It's the nervous person who trips and, and you know, and, and, you know, just doesn't make it work, you know. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's about it going smooth. Yeah. I think if your audition was with Eric Clapton and Smokey Robinson the first time, <laughs> you might have been. Yeah, maybe you like would have. Little... Maybe you would have had some nerves. Right? Yeah. But now you're. Well, I, I, yeah, because... Yeah, well, I think with Jules, because Jules is a very laid back guy, you know, and mm-hmm. Jules is all about kind of jamming it out and kind yeah. of one of the, the main reasons why Jules, I think, has kept me in the band for so long, because I'm all about the detail. Yeah. So when, when we when we do stuff, he knows that my I'm going to be super accurate with with learning all the bass parts. Mm-hmm. And that frees him up to be a little bit more you know, open to interpretation, what he does, you know. Whereas if I was playing the bass the same way, if I was just a very mm-hmm. loose kind of player mm-hmm. doing my own thing, then the whole thing becomes quite nebulous. Mm-hmm. You know, so Jules knows that I'm a stickler for detail. And this helps him as well, because not only am I playing the bass part super accurate, but I can be super accurate with telling him chords. If there's a chord sequence mm-hmm. he's sure about, I can be very specific and say to him, so I'm kind of like this weird shadow MD, yeah. but it doesn't <laughs> exist, like a ghost. Shadow you know, I just give little bits of relevant one, information. But One thing I didn't realize, now are all the shows live later with Jules Holland? You, know you mentioned what? it was the, live, that Smokey Robinson was live, you said. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, it, it, the, the, the show's changed over the years. Mm-hmm. It's changed over the years because... It always, you know, at one point it was just pre-recorded, okay. and then they would, then it was played at a later date, and then, and I don't know if you're familiar with Jules's. Um, he, we've got an annual New Year's Eve TV show called uh, yeah, Jules Holland. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. We don't use that word often in in the U.S. Uh, you know, no, we don't. <laughs> no, uh, d- d- is yeah, that's not a common word in in the UK either. Is I, I don't know what I, I think. I think the word hootenanny is is like, like um, I think it's another word for a party. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, really. Traditionally, I think it yeah. means a, a get together, a party. You yeah, know? yeah. Interestingly, that's um. Yeah, the regular Later with Jules started in 92, and the, the New Year's Eve Hootenanny show began in 90. So that's been going like a long time as well. Yeah. You know, so yeah, that's yeah. every New Year's Eve. Now, the Hootenanny is definitely pre recorded because okay. there's just no way that we could, we, everyone could do that show live on New Year's Eve because it would be too costly. It would cost the BBC mm-hmm. a fortune. Mm-hmm. You know, one year we, we we did the show and we were playing with Paul McCartney and Kylie Minogue and all these mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And there's no way that those guys are going to give up their own personal New Year's Eve show. That's yeah. right. So it's always – so that's what it's pre-recorded. Now, what happened is we, we would record it a couple of weeks before New Year's. So, like, around about the 14th of December. Mm-hmm. So at least we're, we're close. Yeah. yeah. We're close to New Year's. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And then, uh, but obviously, we on that 14th of December, we have to be behaving like it is New Year's Eve. We have yeah. to, yeah. we have to do that. <laughs> and then it would get broadcast, and for years and for years, it was. And then, and then um, people started to discover that it was pre-recorded. And, and more and more people started to complain about this. Mm-hmm. Cool. They were kind of miffed that it was, they, were, they felt as though they were being duped. Yeah. And then <laughs> the, the, the real giveaway came on the Millennium Nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'd already recorded Jules Holland's Hoot and Annie, but we then got the gig to play in the Millennium Dome here in London, in southeast London, with a house band for the, the Queen and the Prime Minister. Oh, yeah. And we were playing with all these people. Yeah. But then, but that was live. That yeah. was live. Yeah. On the, so when, what's happening is people are at home. places at once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of going, <laughs> those guys are good. Yeah. Yeah. How are they- two places at once. Right, right. Yeah. But as a music lover, that would suck because, you know, I wanted to see <laughs> and hear that. And I wanted to see and hear. Yeah, you wanted to see and hear both. That's what you're saying. They were, they were going back and forth. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what? To this day, I still haven't seen the Millennium Dome gig. I've never actually oh, okay. seen I only ever seen it. But anyway, that was when the cat was out of the bag and people went nuts. You know, people were mm. so angry wow. that the Hootenanny was being recorded. I mean, really terrible backlash to it. You know, and I'm wow. thinking, you know, it's like there's a lot of Christmas shows that are recorded months before mm-hmm. and they're yeah. pretending yeah. it's Christmas Day. Yeah. Oh, you know, in, the, in the US, we say, really- we say, let it go. Let it go, Dave. Let it go. That's what we say. Let it go, man. Let it go. But the thing is, in in the U.S., when you have a New Year's show that's live, they aren't even like sometimes they are. They aren't even playing their instruments. They're playing to a track. So uh, you guys destroying the artistic credibility of. They should have been glad that you guys are true musicians and. Yeah. 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 I mean, that was the thing, right? So when we do that New Year's Eve show, although it's a pre-recorded show, we're playing the show as live. So we, we're yeah. recording it in real time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Uh, also, um, you know, there's other there's other bands there, but we're the, we're the house band on that New Year's Eve show. So we, we're we doing the lion's share of the work. You know, we, we're, it's mm-hmm. like this conveyor belt of mm-hmm. people we're playing with. So anyways, what happened is, because of this backlash, with the regular TV show, Later Jules Holland, they wanted to sort of, the BBC, I guess it was like a peace offering to the British public. <laughs> so what they would do is they used to, they then started to record the show um, on a Tuesday. So what they would do is they would do, let me get this right, okay. they do a pre-recorded, they do a pre-recorded version on the Tuesday night. And that pre-recorded show was going to be broadcast on the Friday of the same week. Mm-hmm. So it was yeah. like an hour's pre-record. Yeah. So this was on the Tuesday. Now, when that hour's pre-record was done, we'd have a breather, and then we would do half an hour live okay. that night. On yeah. The okay. Wow. So the idea is that we, we, we've done the pre-record for the Friday. That's the full show. But we, we're giving you a half an hour live as a mm-hmm. taster. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was, I think it was the BBC's effort to show the British public that, look, we can do this live. This, mm-hmm. is, this is possible. Yeah. We're giving yeah. you a half an hour live of what you're going to get to see on the Friday night kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. so it was, you know, there was a bit of give and take there. It was, yeah. it was to placate the 
yeah. the audience that were complaining that it's that it's never live, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. I th- I think it's a unique show. Like now, when we first moved to this house, I had a, a channel. I think it was called Axis, A X S. It was a music channel, okay. and they play later with Jules Holland. Mm. But then my cable company got rid of it. And I have like MTV, MTV Live or something, and they don't play it. So I was able to see it. And, you know, you can go on YouTube too. But uh, I think it's unique if you still do it. You would have like four or five bands on the same stage set up individually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's, that's right. That's right. And then yeah, Jules just walks around the room and introduces them. Now, yeah. I have to say that COVID really messed oh. things up, of course. Yeah. you know like for all of us you know so for 2020 it was completely gone now when 2021 came back in they 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 couldn't do what they would film it there. so they did it at jules's studio around the corner mm-hmm. from me but jules's studio is super tiny so obviously no live audience because it's big mm-hmm. enough and it's covid restrictions. yeah two it was just jules and one artist and there was a big grand piano between them so there was the okay. distancing there was a skeleton crew skeleton film crew and the producer mm. there so we we couldn't be there you couldn't have any other musicians at all it was very very strange yeah. and then what would happen is jules would interview this one artist and then they would show stock footage from previous episodes to fill mm. out the show oh, okay yeah and, and and that kind of and that stayed for like a long time because the bbc was so paranoid they were so paranoid about going back to a, a TV studio. And so that took ages for that to happen, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the pandemic really did a number on on the show. It was, uh, mm. yeah. And then when we came back and we did uh, the Hootenanny, we couldn't have any of the bands. It was just us. It was just the Jules uh-huh. Holland band playing for all the artists. But there was no audience. There was nobody there. Yeah. Well, the only person <laughs> in the audience, there was the, there was the, um, there was the director, there was one cameraman and the cleaner. <laughs> so, so, so we'd be playing like with Tom Jones, you know, and Imelda May and Jeff Beck, mm-hmm. and we'd be playing these fantastic songs. And at the end of it, all you'd hear was, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah, what? <laughs> one, yeah." yeah. <laughs> you hear two or three people clapping, and I'm thinking, "Oh, so you God, need our, our so sound, you need like a sound device like we have." Yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> or like thank they you. do. When they broadcast it, of course they had to put on. Oh, okay. They had to put oh, on, oh. on the. Yeah. yeah. But it was just us in the room when we recorded it. It was just like three people. Yeah. 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 It really brings down the the feel. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. really and this down. is what happens behind the behind the scenes in showbiz, folks. This, <laughs> yeah. this is the, the stuff that people never get to see. So well, yeah. I wanted to talk about Joss Stone, if we could. Matt and I saw Joss in uh, September in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, she, she has, she doesn't do like, if she did a tour, like she's been around like 20 some years. I know she started out when she was like 16. Yeah. But I don't remember sure. her ever coming around to my area unless it was like New York or something. So when I saw she was playing at this place mm-hmm. that I go to all yeah. the time, Wind Creek, mm-hmm. it's a casino. Okay. I had to go see her. Yeah. Um, so how did you two be you you're good friends with her, right? Correct? Sort well the thing of? is, I mean I mean well yeah, I mean to be honest with you, you know, most 
a lot of my associations with artists are through jewels. You know, that okay. that's how mm. that's how it initially you meet meets them. a lot of people yeah, because yeah. because the nature of that gig, you know, whether you're doing Jules' radio show, the TV show, live gigs, recording sessions, you yeah. get to meet like a lot of people. You get to yeah. meet a volume of artists that you would never get to meet if you were just a, fr- a regular freelance guy, you know. Mm-hmm. So majority of people that I know I've I've met through through Jules you know but um but yeah we've just we've de- I've def- we've definitely like I said recorded together she's done shows uh with us the TV show in fact like I said she's going to be doing this tour coming yeah. up she's going to be mm-hmm. doing some of the dates not all of them not all of them but some of them and she is going to be doing our New Year's Eve TV show again okay. it's not the first time that she's she's actually done mm-hmm. it before you know but the thing is you know when you play with these people it's as much of how well you get on with them it, that's mm-hmm. just as important as how well you play with them because if you're going to be on tour with somebody if you're going to be in a studio all day uh, you know in a green room somewhere drinking coffee for however many hours you know you, you've got to be able to have a conversation on with regular people. conversations yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and to be personable you know mm-hmm. and, and and that's i think that's a lot of the big part of what people don't understand about the industry you know I, I know people who are great players who are like phenomenal virtuoso players but let's just say their personalities might leave um you know a little bit to be desired yeah <laughs> you know kind of, yeah. Uh, uh, you, you know uh, and you know, I'm not saying I'm not saying they're terrible, terrible people. You know, but I'm just yeah. saying that you know sometimes you social skills are, are a thing that you you develop as well mm-hmm. as well as yes. musical ones. Mm-hmm. Those, those social skills are important, and not everyone has them. You know, not everyone has yeah. great skills. So Joss and I have always got we've always gone so well, and she's such a sweetheart. You know, she's so down to earth. You know, whenever I've said to her, "Listen, we've got to have a picture taken. We've got to have our photograph taken." Mm-hmm. You know, she's <laughs> never been big time bad. You know, she's always happily done it. You know, and we've just yeah. we've just always had. She she is a delight uh, to work with. You know, at, at her show, I really appreciated how uh, we were uh, to the right uh, of center. Uh, looking and just a just a few rows, so it's uh, ten feet. She comes down and she and the spotlight's trying to follow her. She comes down and she's just ten feet in front of us. Mm-hmm. And there's people. I think we're all standing at that point. But she just starts dancing with this guy, and they're dancing, and the spotlight's there. And again, it's just right in front of us. Yeah. And and she just genuinely. Uh, and then she came down the middle aisle and right, was right. singing with. Right, singing with everybody, but yeah. I just saw right there, she genuinely s- smiled and had a good time, probably gave him a quick hug and moved on. It was like, wow, okay, <laughs> that's so real. I was really yeah. impressed with that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that, I mean, that, 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 that does sound like it, but you know what? The, the thing that always makes me smile about Joss, well, there's actually there's a lot of things that make me mm-hmm. smile about Joss, but the one thing that always used to tickle me when, um, I should say, amuse me with mm-hmm. Joss is that when we when I first started to work with her and she come into the and she she's nearly always barefoot. Mm-hmm. She, okay. she she likes to be yeah. barefoot most mm-hmm. of the time, whenever she can. And um and she just and, and she wears like and she's very kind of summery, you know, she's mm-hmm. she yes. just looks though for you know, every she's day is summer. Free flowing. She's a <laughs> you know, free flowing woman. Yeah. She's flowery <laughs> lightweight dresses yeah. and yeah, I've seen yeah, her yeah, yeah, on right. Instagram right. and her videos. Right. She always seems happy. Yeah, and... like, yeah, she emanates like sunshine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and just 
we just always imagine us skipping through fields of of daisies <laughs> and, and, and things like that. Yeah. yeah, it's great. And a bit like a typical English rose, but quite demure as well. Mm. You know, very well paved and very mm-hmm. yeah, very very demure. You know, and then she starts to sing. Yeah, and then. <laughs> And she kind of goes into a whole different world, you know. And she starts to do like an Aretha Franklin type song. Yeah. And and she becomes like where is somebody else, I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> she, she looks as though she's gonna be singing like a, a folk song or yeah. some madrigal mm-hmm. or, or a hymn. Yes. Something like that, you know. <laughs> yeah. You don't think she's gonna like sing this gritty R and B blues thing, and mm-hmm. I'm thinking, wow, where does that come from? <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, so that she always surprised me like that. I thought, wow, that's kind of your tour coming up. Is that's just uh, is that just the UK or not? Yeah, a... it, it is. I mean, to be honest with you, yeah, we we have done world tours with Jules. We we have okay. traveled all over the world way back in the day. But I think the problem is. It's such a large band, you know. There's like twenty of us, oh, or something yeah. like that, yeah. and it's just so costly to do that. I think, you know, the management got to the point where they were looking at the figures and thinking, you know, this isn't like, you it's know, not this profitable isn't the best. at all. Maybe, mm. or, yeah. yeah, exactly yeah. that. So we did, we did do some of those big international tours, but most of the time it's uh, so in the summer we do some European dates, mm-hmm. but this tour coming up which starts in a few days' time. In fact, Jules phoned me um, a couple of hours ago just yeah. to make sure that I'm which songs that we're doing, you know. And oh, okay. I, um, I was already ahead of the game, man. I, I, you know, I, I'd already done my homework. It's already been done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not taken care of. Yeah, it's, you're, you're, you're with professionals now. It's okay. Um, no, but, I'm, you know, I'm very conscientious like that. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, this, com- this tour coming up, um, it's the beginning of November, it goes till Christmas, and it's all UK. They're okay. all UK dates. Mm-hmm. Now, what's particularly special about this tour coming up is uh, we've got Pauline Black, who is one of the guest singers, as well as Joss Stone. And Pauline Black is from a, a two-tone ska revival band called The Selector, okay. which is a, a band that I listened to as a kid. You know, uh, I was a big uh, fan of that wow. band and of Pauline, you know. And it's like the... <laughs> A lot of the people I get to play with, they're, they're often musicians, artists, and bands that I was a massive fan of when I was a mm-hmm. kid. And and here I am playing yeah. with these people. You know, it's like, yeah. how did that happen? That's a dream you know, come so, true. Um, yeah, that's that's awesome. Well, one other person yeah, is yeah. is Rod Stewart. Rod the Bod? Yeah, Rod the Bod, they yeah. used to call uh-huh. him. <laughs> and um, <Sir> Rod. <laughs> Rod. But you're... Jules and I don't know how many people from the band are on. He has a new album coming out. Is that correct? You or are you only on a couple of songs? Or... No, 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 no. It's um, so what, what the album is. It's um, so we recorded it last year, and it's mm-hmm. it's a collaborative album uh, with with Jules and Rod Stewart. So the oh. the Jules Holland band. We we are the band on the on the album. Mm-hmm. We okay. we play every track. Oh. Okay. And but so Rod is is the singer on it. So it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's a Jules Holland, Jules Holland band, Rod Stewart. Mm-hmm. Album, okay. You know, so um, I mean, I don't know what it's going to be called or the title or I, who's I heard get top Billy. Yeah. I heard it's a swing. It album. Will be. I heard it's swing music. Yeah. Swing. Yeah. So so here's what happened. So you I know, don't know how much you can tell us. Band, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's fine. It's yeah. fine. 
So, you know, I mean, Jules himself personally, you know, he likes, his favorite music is blues, swing, boogie, woogie. Yeah. That, that, that's his bag. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I, I mean, I'm, you know, I like that stuff. I'm probably more of a jazz, mainstream mm -hmm. jazz fan than anything else, but I, I look kind of funk and stuff. Well, every kind of thing. I mean, my yeah. two favorite bands are Weather Reports and Earth, Wind and Fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so that kind of gives you a bit of mine an are, idea of where mine are cheap, you. cheap trick, right? <laughs> cheap trick and Frank Sinatra. That's <laughs> a wide range. So, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like all, yeah. all, yeah, yeah. all kinds. You know, I mean, I always said that if I could have been in two other bands, like yeah, Weather Report or Earth and Fire, mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't have been good. But who knows? Maybe not. But anyway, <laughs> I, I love it. You know, so, um, but with when we play. The majority of what we play is kind of more swingy, jazzy stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. But when we do the TV show, we might be playing like a hard rock thing, like a funk thing, a ska, yeah, yeah, you know, pop scene, whatever. That's a different thing. But on Jules's gig, generally, it's more kind of jazzy, big band, mm -hmm. swing yeah. stuff, you know. And obviously, Rod was aware of this. Now, Rod Stewart has, has done either one or more albums in that genre, you know, like the great mm -hmm. American song. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so when he approached Jules to do, to do this one with us, I mean, I was a bit surprised. So I thought, well, you've kind of already done that, but there's the slight differences. Okay. So what happened when Rod did the previous album or albums, he, he told me personally that he wasn't always present when the, when the music was being recorded, mm -hmm. oh, okay. you know, a lot of it was done separately. Oh. And then he came along a different point to put it on there. Yeah. And this was something that he that he wasn't happy, you know, happy about. It, it did it wasn't it didn't feel a, quite Yeah, you didn't get right. a different feeling if you're not a part of there it, yes. with, the, with, with the band. Yeah. Like you're phone yeah, not exactly phoning that. it in. I mean Rod wouldn't phone it in, <laughs> but you know. Yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and, and we I'm sure we've all done remote recordings, you know, and, and sometimes you, you just mm -hmm. have to. But, yeah. but it's like when we record with Jules anyway with the band, we do our own albums. Jules wants us all to be there playing together. He doesn't mm -hmm. want the rhythm section to put it down and then somebody else to come in and somebody else. He wants us so it's all recorded in live. together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the only difference is that um, our guitarist who, who has to have his uh, guitar amp mics yeah he'll go in a separate room yeah yeah mm -hmm. uh the, our drummer will have screens around him mm -hmm. but you know jules wants to see most of us he wants to physically mm -hmm. look at us when we're recording so we, we've yeah. always done it like that that's yeah. important in jules. and i think rod realized that that's what he wanted to do this time mm -hmm. around he wanted to be there with us all at the same time you know so it was mm -hmm. a lot more organic and also, here's the other thing. So um, when he's done these albums before, the, the, the musicians that he used, the, the band, whoever it was, whether they were session guys or, or whatever, it was very kind of ultra slick. It was like really kind of squeaky clean, I guess, yeah. almost. I'm not saying it was bad, mm -hmm. but it was like, it was very, very sort of slick, you know. And Over Rod, maybe overproduced or... Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And, and he he wanted it with a, a bit more, a bit more loose, a bit more kind mm -hmm. of, I don't know, edgy, something like that. So the thing with 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 Jules's band, you know, that's exactly what we can do. You know, so I think what we're doing is we're playing sort of big band swing stuff, but with with a bit more of an R and B 
sensibility about mm-hmm. it, you know. Yeah. It yeah. still swings stuff, you know, mm-hmm. but it, it, it doesn't sound like super polished and kind of a bit uh, a bit sort of sterile, I guess, you know. Yeah. So that's why Rod wanted to do it and that's why he's very happy about mm-hmm. it. So, yeah, the album last year, it's coming out in February 2024. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah. But, Sounds interesting. Yeah, it should be great fun, you know. <laughs> so, but Roddy's definitely going to do the New Year's Eve show with us because we've okay. been trying to get him on that for de- okay, for the great. longest time. So he's definitely going to do the New Year's Eve TV show because obviously he's going to want to promote the new album. The real coup is, I think he's going to join the tour for a couple of dates. Yeah, wow. he's actually going to play with us live. That's great. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what dates they are, but obviously. Some some folks in the audience are going to get super lucky because they're <laughs> yeah, just yeah. buying tickets to come and see the Jules Holland. Yeah, and they, okay, so he's not going to be announced. Well, like, I, I I don't because well, we we don't even know when he's coming. Okay, so yeah. I I think it's it's going to be you know maybe a few days or a week's mm-hmm. notice kind of thing. Most people will have bought their tickets already, you know. So yeah. so some people are going to get quite the coup, you know. So when mm-hmm. wow, so yeah, yeah. And, and and then what we're going to do is. Uh, in between the tour dates, we're going to be doing some TV promotion work and we'll do even more once the album comes out in February. So it will be interesting to see where this takes us all, you know, where mm-hmm. this takes yeah. Rod Stewart, where it takes mm-hmm. us, where it takes Jules, the yeah. whole thing. We might do some international tour. We might do a long weekend in Vegas. Who oh. knows? Yeah. <laughs> at, the, at the sphere. Yeah. At the sphere. Yeah. You once, know. once you two. Yeah. Once you two there. gets it. What's, what year would that be? Uh, 2035? No, I don't. They, <laughs> they announced more dates, but in the January and February, I think. Yeah. I don't think they're going to be there. I didn't even realize that you two were playing in Las Vegas. Right. It's called, it's called the sphere. Have you heard of that yet? No. Oh. No. Okay. Look, look it up. Well, when you have time, but look up the sphere and there's video of this thing. It's a venue, which is a big, a giant dome. It's, it's the biggest sphere, you know, where they're going to have concerts and also like some films, like it can project all the way around and on the outside, which is freaky. Yeah. So there's there's a train, there's a train that goes by or monorail. And the thing had like once in a while they'll project like a face on there, like two eyes, and then and he's looking down at the train, and there's a there's a golf course there, and there's a video of a guy hitting the ball, and the thing's looking up. At yeah. the, I don't know. So you have to picture uh, a giant <laughs> dome, but with no structural pieces. Okay, it's just I a guess. consistent yeah. giant dome that they project on the outside, and when you're at the concert on the inside, they project on that. So it's like you're outside. It's it's my sister uh, just uh, would have gone last weekend. I didn't talk to her. She went from yeah. Dallas for her <laughs> birthday, so she would have gone just two days ago, and I didn't talk to her yet. But she uh, just made it in there. It's brand new. Yeah. Yeah, U two is playing there for a little while, and it costs two point three billion dollars. This thing, two point three billion dollars. I don't know who paid for it. That's not the the price of a ticket, is it? No, (laughs) No, it's a little less. Tickets are five (laughs) hundred. Yeah, to see you too, (laughs) Dave. Anyway, Dave, you've given us so much of your time. We, uh, I got another question here. You recorded uh, the score for a movie, Me and Orson Welles. Uh, Is that true? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, How did it go? Yeah, it was good. It was um, the, apparently, uh, I think the stars. It was Zac Efron. Yeah, and mm-hmm. there was a lady called Claire Danes. But the the guy 
The guy that played Orson Welles, who was amazing. He was like a younger Orson Welles. And yeah. I can't remember his name, forgive me, but he was so good. He looked so like a young Orson Welles. But yeah, what happened is we got called to to play on the soundtrack to it. And I guess, I don't know if Jules knew the producer or I'm not really sure the connection, but I guess the, um, the nature of the music, because obviously it's set in the, is it in the 40s or the 30s mm-hmm. maybe? Yeah. I'm not really sure. But I guess they, they thought, that we that we would be quite suitable to play because you know we do have to play music from every era in yeah, Jules's yeah. band. Mm-hmm. Every we have to play old school jazz stuff, old standards, American songbook, whatever. So initially we got called to play on the soundtrack, but then someone said, "Why don't we get you guys in the movie? Why don't you guys actually appear right. in it?" Oh, very cool. And then and. And the thing is, you know, I, I have to be honest, I, I've done a little bit of this before. Uh, you know, I've, I've been a musician that's played on a soundtrack, but also I've, I've appeared in the movie as well. Yeah, okay. I've, I've done this. In, so, so I knew that it, this was quite, quite good fun, you know. Now, they didn't want the whole band. They wanted like a small group. And the idea is that we're supposed to be playing in a New York club, like mm-hmm. just, just in the background, just, yeah, just yeah. not a featured thing in the background. So it, it had to be a small group, but the only slightly awkward thing was there were some guys in the band, with the greatest of respect to them, weren't going to be able to be in this scene. Yeah, because, because of the 1940s. Like, well, yeah, and, and they had like dreadlocks. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. kind of, yeah, yeah. you know, and obviously they wow. didn't want to get rid of that. Yeah. But yeah, so I think it was me, the guitarist, Jules, uh, the drummer, uh, it may have been a couple of the horn players, but you know they had to pick. They had to pick the guys that looked as though they could have fitted in in that. Yeah, uh, yeah. that time period. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that so was a Jules, difficult Jules decision to make. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, so Jules had his hair slicked back, and they gave him a little pencil moustache. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna have to watch this movie. I haven't seen it. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of fun, you know, and um. But obviously, me and the guitarist are completely shaved heads. Now, I don't know whether or not musicians back then used to do that. It was yeah, probably right. more likely they had hair oh, around yeah. the sides. Saving every little bit you have, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Back then. Yeah, no, yeah, so, yeah, so maybe maybe, maybe us shaved head guys, maybe we, we weren't being authentic either, you know. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but it was, we did it anyway. And we were mm-hmm. in like one scene where we're in this ballroom and it was shot in um this scene was in southeast london there's a there's a venue that hasn't changed since back then and they often yeah. use mm-hmm. it film, you know. so, <laughs> so yeah so we played on the whole of the soundtrack but we were we we did the movie as well so that was that was a lot of fun i, I still i'm not even sure if i've seen the film yet i, I don't know but we, we've done that with jules a few times we've done soundtracks to movies but this this is the that was the time that we actually appeared in the film, and of course, you know you have to wear all the right clothes. You know, uh-huh. we, we had to go to the costumes, and even like the cufflinks. Yeah, they wore layers. And- yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and the cummerbands and the and the shirts and every little thing was so meticulously uh, worked yeah. out because we couldn't yeah. be seen wearing anything that was vaguely oh, yeah. out of place or modern. I don't think there were too many musicians yeah. uh, wearing earrings back then. Yeah, uh, yeah. In- so- yeah, that's excellent. Excellent. We'll look for that movie. It's called uh, Me and Orson Welles. Yeah. So we won't keep you too much longer. We we have a we just have a couple I more questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> These are non-music 
I have like three questions for you because I know you probably, you know, we've been talking all about music. You probably, that's yeah, yeah. all you, you know, when mm-hmm. you're interviewed, maybe that's what, you know, all the questions are about. So we like to learn maybe some. Yeah. NPR things. has one of these little uh, bits. It's called Not My Job, but we're not going to do that to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dave, if, if you weren't a musician, what other profession do you think you would be uh, working in? Okay, well, that's a really good question because, you know, you, you know I've just spent the, the week with Sarah Karloff, daughter of horror yes. icon yes. Morris. Mm-hmm. I was interviewed. Right. That we interviewed. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So Sarah Karloff is one of my dear friends. And the reason the reason why we we're friends is when I was – I'm a lifelong fan of horror monster mm-hmm. movies. started yeah, off when I was a little kid watching The Monsters on TV. The Monsters? And my, uh, one of, yeah, Did you say I, the I monsters? love The Monsters. Yeah, so do I. Monsters, yeah, yeah. 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 Obviously, by the time I was watching them, this this rerun, so this would have been early 70s, late 60s, mm-hmm. early 70s, and, and I just loved the characters. I didn't realize that they were parodying the yeah. movies that I hadn't seen. I hadn't watched <laughs> the universe. I get it. Okay. <laughs> That's and great. So the monsters, they just captured my imagination. So when I started to watch the, the, the horror movies with Boris Karloff, Pagosi, Lon Chaney, all those kind of guys, I was obsessed with monsters. I mean, and I still am. It's still my mm-hmm. my hobby outside of music is anything to do with collecting oh, wow. memorable horror movies. So when I was a kid, I used to dress up as monsters all the time. I was painting my face green, sticking bolts on my neck. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> when I was really little, my ideal job was to be, the, well, like Jack Pierce, who made up Boris Karp as Frank. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to be a mm-hmm. horror makeup guy. Yeah. I was absolutely fascinated with how do they do these scars and the makeup and stuff. You know, I was quite obsessed with them. But, you know, when I was a kid, I just couldn't begin to imagine that you could do that as a job. And my parents yeah. had no clue either. Because they were factory workers, you know. Yeah. So they probably saw me with all this kind of grease paint, and, like <laughs> making full scars. Thinking, what's wrong with this kid? Yeah, what's going yeah, on? What's wrong with him? But he was like Halloween every single day in my house. Yeah. And ironically, my son now... Oscar, who's six, I don't know if you can kind of see this, but um, my son Oscar, who's six, he, he's <laughs> oh yeah, he, he's nice. monster crazy as well. So, mm-hmm. so for our listeners who can't see that, uh, we're seeing a uh, studio with stand stand up mm-hmm. stand up cutouts, cardboard cutouts, yeah. Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, the Wolfman, yeah, yeah, that's excellent. Candy uh, Halloween. Chucky, like, this is all my stuff. <laughs> yeah i believe it no. you know so um so yeah so really early on i wanted to be yeah horror horror mm-hmm. makeup guy you know um and then i've always had a fascination with like uh archaeology maybe that comes from watching the mummy movies mm-hmm, you yeah. know these guys going through <laughs> the and digging up stuff you know mm-hmm. I thought myself wow i'd love to be like an archaeologist you know and i've always had a fascination with the workings of the human mind so mm-hmm. I also kind of thought, you know, maybe some kind of like a psychologist, psycho, psychoanalyst, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. that, that, that fascinated me as well. So I think those are my, those would have been, oh, and of course, I, I love basketball. I'm a big basketball fan. So mm-hmm. uh, if I wasn't so short at six foot three, yeah. I would have liked to have been a pro basketball player. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you have been a great makeup artist with the uh the, the desire to do it the interest in it mm-hmm. and that is hilarious that is a great oh. story that you're watching the monsters which we grew up watching reruns of the monsters uh yeah. here here in the u.s 
uh, not realizing, yeah, this is actually comedy mm -hmm. spoof. They're spoofing this the, mm -hmm. the scary uh, the horror stories that you hadn't seen yet. Exactly. And I, that means, uh, Butch Patrick. Yeah, we interviewed him last yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. I've met Butch a couple of times. Yeah, I got to meet him at the, uh, the Chiller Theatre Convention in Pacifica, New Jersey. When were uh, you there? I went to the convention. The last time I was there was was pre-COVID because I, I was because I, I I usually hang out with Sarah you, you know so I was there. Oh wow! Yeah, you could have been there. Was uh, the last time? It, was, it might have been two thousand. I go, I've been going there since ninety nine. Yeah, he goes every every. It's all the twice time. a year. So, I well, I've, I've been there three times. Three times. Wow! I could have seen him. Could have. I was him. I was there on uh, Saturday. Oh yeah, yeah. I know. Oh, he's gonna he's gonna get something. He's gonna. Dave could have been wearing a mask. Went, and, uh... It was before I before I met Sarah. But the first time I went to um, Chile was was in the mid two thousands, and I met this guy, uh, Lou Ferrigno. There he is. Yeah. yeah, he hasn't been back in a while, but yeah. Well, well, Parsippany, New Jersey, is fifty like forty five fifty minutes from me. That's no how. Way. Yeah, oh, yeah. No that's why. Hey, hey but even there. closer than that. Right down the road here, on Route Fifty Seven, there's Ferrignos. Oh yeah, yeah. There's oh, a no wait. Kidding. There's no, no kidding. It, I, it's a relative of Lou Ferrigno. Yeah, yeah. Um, he had a weight. He sold weights, weightlifting equipment. Yeah, but it's still the building still says Ferrignos on it. Yeah, it's still been there for decades. But I don't, as long as we can remember. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think it might be like a, yeah, cousin or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, because we, I, I was a big kind of comp as a kid as well and the Hulk was always my favorite so I've got mm -hmm. a big I've got a big collection of universal monster stuff but I've also got yeah. a Hulk collection mm -hmm. you know so I, so I you know and I love comics and I used to love sketching when I was a kid so yeah that would yeah. have been the other thing if you're ever going to Chiller again let me know because I like I said I go I go oh, to man. every yeah. show yeah <laughs> we'll hang out that's awesome so, I did not yeah, know that. I, I, yeah I, I, I've been three times now so yeah I, I'd love to oh, okay I'd love to go again this is a may, might be a quick question. Uh, what is your absolute favorite food? <laughs> Ooh, that's nice. That's nice. I was talking to my wife Lucy about this. You know, what could I not live without? You know, um, <laughs> I've got to be honest. You know, I I, I love a fillet steak. You a know, I, I love yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Did you yeah. call it fillet mignon? I think, or something like that. That's my fillet wife's steak, favorite. Fillet mignon, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I I don't that, but you know, I'm I'm quite I'm very very partial to cheese. I actually really <laughs> love. No way. <laughs> Here it is. I adore this. Ask him about cheese. That's what it says right there. Oh no way! How funny. We just talked to. We just did an interview with a comedian, Dave Dave Hill, and we talked about all kinds of cheese. And I said we need to ask this Dave. And I said to him. Have you gone to Sunday school? Did you see what? Did, did you, you know about that? Jesus? Did you know we talked about cheese with the other guy? <laughs> no, I did not. Oh, that's weird. I honestly didn't know. That. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. so Swiss Swiss with Ritz crackers is yeah, my favorite. Okay. What do you? What, what? What's your favorite cheese? You know, I've got to be honest. You know, I, I'm. I mean, I, I love trying a lot of stuff, but it, but for me, the two my two big guns. You know. Uh, um, I love extra mature cheddar. I mean, I just, I just do. Mm -hmm. I just love mm -hmm. extra mature cheddar. Um, yeah. But I love camembert. 
I'm a big, big camembert, camembert fan. Mm-hmm. I've heard of camembert. When you no, say no, extra no. mature, is this yeah. this is the sharp, extra sharp, oh, yeah. or is maturity something different? Yeah. Well, there's there's extra mature. I think there's super extra. You know, I think there's yeah. there's. Well, I think we call. I think it's yeah, sharp. So definitely. That's what I was. In the U.S., we call it sharp, extra sharp. Maybe it's it's the same thing. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Oh yes. Yeah. So, well, over here it's it's mild. Which okay. forget about that because it might yeah, as well yeah. be butter. Yeah. But there's so that, then there's mature and there's extra mature. Yeah, that's yeah. got to be me, the same. It's the, yeah. Yeah. Me it's too. really kind of tangy. Mm-hmm. It's like got a little bit of like a crunch. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, there's a bit of a. It's no. always always it harder. Almost, yeah. Uh, yeah. I always want, want to make my eyes water a little, mm-hmm. little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Me too. <laughs> that's interesting. But you know what? There is. On the on the flip side to that, the one cheese I cannot eat is goat cheese. Me too. <laughs> exactly I said right. that with uh, the other Dave. Yeah. Goat cheese. Yeah. Oh my god. I had a turkey that, burger, that's... and they put goat cheese. I I want oh. to vomit. <laughs> Seriously. No, well, that would be that would be game over for me, man. I yeah. Would me not too. Be able to... Yeah. My room. My roommate in college. My roommate in college says they've got they've got cow cheese. And they they've got goat cheese. He said, "Why did they not make rat cheese?" He said, "I would rat taste the cheese. rat cheese." Yeah. I mean, he, he just skip over the cat and dog, just uh, go right to the rat. Yeah, <laughs> that's oh the kind of thing. Honestly, it's I just can't do it. I literally no. can't can't. Do yeah, I can't. Eat. Eat. My mom uh, loves goat cheese. I don't know why, but she yeah. So we have one one last question. And this is not music. Oh, this could be music related, depending on the answer. Yeah. Okay, Dave, you just won five million dollars. What are you using the money for? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think five million is still life changing. You know, I know you know inflation and everything, yeah. but still, still five million still could be life changing. Yeah, nowadays it's not really that like much. Do you, do you know what? I mean, it's, it, this is probably going to sound really, really shallow, but I'd, I'd probably want to buy. Um, a bigger house, and I'd probably move mm-hmm. out of London as well. I'd probably move okay. out to the country and have yeah. a much bigger house because we, you know, I I became a father very late to the mm-hmm. game, so I'm fifty. I'll be I'll be sixty in January. Okay. Uh, my son was like six. Yeah. So yeah. I'm very, very late to the father thing, and we we live in London. We live in Southeast London. We live in a, an apartment. It's actually a house that's split into two okay. apartments. Me, my wife, and my son live upstairs, and and my wife's mm-hmm. mother lives downstairs. It's oh, okay. quite a cool mm-hmm. setup. Yeah, but um, more space would be nice, you mm-hmm. know, especially for the bases. You know, never never mind the family. It's 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 yeah. it's more about the we're, we're not going to put the bases. It's more know. about that so, base. Yeah, is I, what I, he's saying. You yeah. probably have a yeah, yeah. <laughs> you probably have a room about that for base. your bases. About that base. Right? Well, no, well, well they're they're in every room. Oh, okay. they're all yeah. over the place. <laughs> wow. But, but yeah, I'd probably, and also, you know, London is very chaotic. You know, it's kind of, it's much busier than when I first moved here in the in the eighties. It's really super, super hectic. You know, and especially, you know, for Oscar, you know, it, it, I'd love for him to have a bit more of a, you know, I want him to have a cosmopolitan life. You know, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't know. I, I think I'd also enjoy being out in the country somewhere. Yeah. So I probably would, you know, want to buy a slightly bigger, and also, you know. My my wife, she's a she's like thirty three years younger than I am. She's quite oh, okay. considerably younger. So, 
there is a potential that we might have more kids. <laughs> yeah. Assuming <laughs> my heart holds out. Yeah. Is, oh. is okay. There's a man you in know, love. There's a man in love, Rome. Yeah. <laughs> If we did do that, you know, I I think I'd want us to be more in the countryside, you know. So I so I'd probably do that. Um, I, do you know what? That's a good point. I mean, I'd probably want to do more traveling because the thing yeah. is, I used to do a lot of traveling when I was kind of younger, you know, the cruise ships, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And then, you know, I stopped going on holidays because because of work. You yeah. know, I always ended up putting work first, and then I haven't been on holiday in years. Yeah. But then again. It will say to me, well, yeah, but your job is like a holiday. Well, yeah. yes and no. Yes and no. It's not like working down a mine shaft, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know so it's it's a holiday in comparison to that, you know. Um, but it's not, not like you're on, on a beach with the band playing in the sunshine well, and I, drinking margaritas. I was taking you know. a vacation <laughs> in Colorado. In the U.S., we call it vacation, what you call holiday. So yeah. I was taking a vacation in Colorado, and uh, and I was talking with someone. Uh, we were out in the beautiful canyons and everything, and uh, she uh, she said, "Yeah, coming from Ohio to Colorado, you know, it's nice, but you think you're going to be just here enjoying it and everything. But guess what? You're the one working. You're the one working. You're the one yeah. serving the vacationers, the people who are on holiday. Yeah. It's like you're not just having a holiday here. You're serving the people who are coming here for their holiday. It's different. It's different. <laughs> you're working. And I think it's similar to what you're saying. You're working. You know, you're not, you're not just chilling out listening to great music. You're up there making yes. the music. Yeah. And uh, that, it's, it's not the same. Yeah. It's fascinating. But you know what? I, I think also I do I want to invest in my in my son Oscar because he he's he's a great little kid he's such a sweetheart you know and uh and he, he plays instruments as well he plays mm-hmm. like uh, he's playing piano he's been having piano lessons yeah, and he's pretty good let's put it this way my six-year-old plays the piano better than I do <laughs> let's just leave that one there you know yeah uh, he can read music you know he can play uh, chords and whatever but uh, he's the big thing right so I've got all of these basses all of these guitars double basses trombones tubers he's left-handed the kid, oh, is, I, don't, I don't know, there's nobody else in any of the families has ever been that part. <laughs> but this, it's, could, mean, that's, this that's could mean that my base is safe. You know, yeah. it, it could oh, mean yeah. that he's not going to want to go anywhere near them, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless it's ambidextrous. But right, right. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think because he's so young, you know, I, I think I'd like to probably, education's really important for me because I had a lousy education. You know, I... And it wasn't so much the school. It was like my fault as well. You know, I, I didn't study. I didn't understand the relevance of it. I didn't think mm-hmm. it was important. How is, that, mm-hmm. how is studying French going to get me a job? Yeah, yeah it's understandable. It's understandable. Seven. Sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and so I have no qualifications a- at all. You know, I, I and as my deepest regret has always been that not having a great education. I kind of think, now I, I think I'd like to have gone to college and university and all this kind of stuff. So I think with that kind of money, I'd probably want to invest in Oscar and just make sure mm-hmm. that he yeah. got best education and, and also that he he's aware of the value of it, you know, um, you know, because my parents were very hands off and they just let me get on with it. Oh, yeah. Which in <laughs> some ways is kind of okay. <laughs> yeah. No, we're, we're from that generation. But yeah. Sometimes, yeah, but sometimes you can be too hands you know, and you can it can go the opposite way. And yeah. I didn't get enough input and enough advice 
uh, that, that's why I, I made so many bad choices, you know. So so education to, to me is really important. So I, I probably definitely want to invest. I'm not saying necessarily sending to private school or anything like that, but, but you know, make sure that the studies were important, education uh, is important and 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 yeah. travel. You know, there's 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 no better education than that as well. You know, traveling, mm-hmm. visiting right. different countries, cultures, societies, that kind of stuff. I mean, that can change. That can change someone's life. My you know, my uh, son just uh, went to uh, Germany. He's uh, twenty years old. First time traveling overseas alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His friend Ben is in the army in Germany, mm-hmm. so he flew over there by himself and. For like, cool. you know, ten days, he paid lo- paid for it yeah. himself. That's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure he learned a <laughs> Which lot. Which is a plus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's expensive. Well, well, for me, I mean, that's and it is important. I mean, for me, the cruise ships were game changer for me because mm-hmm. I have never traveled to those places, and I probably yeah. would never again. You know, and yeah. I did this in my late teens, early twenties. Wow. So then all over the world, you know, I was eating food that I would never have encountered, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, all, all sorts of things, you know. I'd never had avocado before, you know. Mm-hmm. I'd never had a whiskey sour. What, what's all this stuff, man? What's Thousand Island dressing? I've never- yeah. <laughs> I love Thousand you know, Island dressing. Yeah, because you know, my family was very, very working class uh, yeah. family, you know. My yeah, same here, yeah. yes. Yeah, no, you know, exactly so, so just me being fortunate enough to play an instrument that got me on that cruise ship that took me yeah. all around the globe several times, man. My brain just exploded, you know, with with the culture and lifestyle and, and, and everything. It was it's really important, you know. So so yeah, I, I'd want to do a lot more traveling, just not necessarily with a band. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just be with the family. Let's let's have some fun. Yeah. That's a great answer. Great answer, Dave. I wanted to ask you um before we go, because um we like to use a little bit of music, but I was wondering if you had any solo stuff of your own that we could incorporate, you know, like thirty seconds, forty five. I don't know if you had because I know we can't use, you know you playing bass with Robert Plant or something, but um, is there any solo work that you've done that we could find? Um, well, I mean, I'm not really sure. I mean, I have to, I thought for a second there you were going to ask me to play something right now. I'm thinking, oh, no, no, unless you want. <laughs> um, no. I don't want to keep I you mean, all night. For me, is I have to say that I've, I've never wanted to do any kind of like soloistic thing. I've never okay. written, I've never written my own things. And, you know, people often say to me on social media, Dave, you know, can you put these great photographs up there and, and they're playing with this person, that person, you know, what about some actual music? But I've never been into just sitting there on my own playing, okay. playing some stuff, you know, that kind okay. of attention. seeking. You know, uh, I mean, you know, lots of people do it, you know, you know, when I, when I left school, I told you I was playing trombone and bass and whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I didn't think that I could get a job for that. You know, I didn't think yeah. that was something. So I, I hadn't got a clue when I left school. It was my trombone teacher that got me gigs, you know, because he was a fixer mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. that part of the country. So he, he had shows. And I remember thinking, you were going to give me money to play music and to play these instruments. It, it was just, <laughs> it was incomprehensible. 
Yeah. I didn't think you could do that, you know. So I think my the way I've always been as a musician, I've always, you know, I've never wanted to be like a front man, write my own stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, I've always been really, really happy to be part of the band in the background, you know, doing my mm-hmm. thing. So that's the reason why I've never written anything. I've never tried to form okay. my own band. You know, I really enjoy just being part of it and you know even if it is standing in the shadow i i really don't mind that i'm kind of i'm kind of all right with it you know so i mean my wife lucy you know she she sings she's a professional jazz singer and we we do gigs together and she she writes some stuff occasionally but more often Mm -hmm. than not we're still playing like jazz standards you know we're still playing traditional jazz music you know so yeah i've kind of i've never really been drawn into that into the spotlight, so to speak. Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, apart I mean, from the time when I got called to play with, with Paul Simon on the on Jules's show, okay. that was the one time that shocked me because Paul Simon came on and I was a big Paul Simon fan, and I'm just thinking, yeah, I'm going to be at the back playing mm-hmm. a very pedestrian bass line. No one's going to see me. I'm fine yeah. with that. I'm playing with Paul Simon. It's all good. And I heard the track, and it was called Wristband okay. from, yes. from an album he had. I think I it was song. 2000. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's with some bass feature. Yeah. It's it's literally the whole song is just voice and, and double bass. And I'm listening to the thing and blimey, I've never had like a feature on Jules' <laughs> yeah. show before. You know? mm-hmm. So we got to the BBC and, and I met Paul and obviously I'm quite tall and Paul isn't. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I was gonna I was gonna take my bass right to the back, and the BBC said, No, no, you've got to stand at the front. It's you and Paul. It's your feature. Wow. So yeah, and, and we did it, and it was like, and it's it, the weird thing is this baseline. It really is the whole song. It's the yeah. baseline, and it's Paul's vocal. That's what wristband is. But it's in. It was an E flat, okay. And this is on double bass, and, I, and I'm kind of thinking straight away you had to hit a low, a low E flat on. It's quite a, yeah. it's quite a way up on the double. Bass. I'm thinking, blimey, hmm. you know. And I was working out the fingering for this riff and, and it just wasn't sitting under my hands at all, you know. Yeah. And I was like, and I, and I tried all these different fingerings thinking, well, listen, I've got to get this right because this is a big feature. I'm playing with Paul Simon. I'm right at the front of the stage. This has got to be perfect, you know. And eventually the fingering I came up with, I still wasn't thrilled with it, but it was the, the lesser of two evils. Mm-hmm. It was the best that I could do on the double bass right? Anyway, we did the song. It's out there on YouTube. And he was great. Paul was wonderful. He, he chatted to me. His father was a double bass player. He was interested in yeah. my, my double bass. We, we got on great. We had a great time. And, and I've been listening to him my whole life. So it was a real honor for me. Uh, anyway, sometime after that, um, I discovered that the bass player that was on that original track, his name's uh, Carlos, Carlos Henrique, Henriquez. Henriquez. Uh, he's like a, a, an American jazz double bass player. He saw a post. I think I posted me playing the song mm-hmm. with Paul Simon, you know, and he commented on it. And then we started to kind of chat privately. And he sort of says, he said, as a matter of interest, what key did you, what, what key were you playing it in? You know, and I said, yeah, man, it's funny you should say that. Because like I said, he he was the original bass player yeah. on, the, on, the, <laughs> yeah. on the album. Mm-hmm. I said, man, it's an E flat. I said, who thought of that? He said, it wasn't in E flat. Uh, he said, uh-oh. we recorded it in D, and and the tapes was sped up. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, tape problem. Because, no? 
Yeah, because Paul wanted it wanted it to be a bit quicker. Oh, okay. So yeah. he put it flat, you know. And then I went, "You're kidding me!" <laughs> and then I literally got the bass out and I started to play it in D. And I'm thinking, "This is the easy, so easy." Yeah. Wow, you know, That's so easy. easy. Wow. You've got the open D, the high D, and I'm mm-hmm. thinking, oh, <laughs> and it, because they very speed it, put it into yeah. E flat, which and I was wondering. This is really uncomfortable. You know, why would why would a double bass player choose to play this in this kit? And it wasn't. It was always in D. But how does so that I work heard out? It from the- right, that's great. But how did that work out then, playing live with Paul uh, in that uh, E flat? Do you know what I'm saying? It- well, yeah, but the thing is, when we were when it came out, so when they recorded it, they yeah. recorded it in D. But yeah. when it went into production. Right. You know, that's when they must, you know, so when it went, when it was sold, when it was commercially mm-hmm. sold, right. it was an E flat. Yeah. And when I got given the copy to learn to play with Paul, it was an E flat. Yeah. yeah. But it should have been in D. Yeah. But no one said, oh, yeah, we, we, we changed the, the speed of it, but let's just do it in D because that would have made my life yeah. so much yeah. easier. <laughs> right. So Carlos got the easy part playing it in the studio mm-hmm. on the recording. Yeah. <laughs> And I got up a semitone, and I'm thinking, that's why the fingering was really horrible. That is a great so story. So I discovered the food from the horse's mouth, straight from right the from the horse's mouth. That's, that's a probably great, my big, biggest, great... almost like solo thing on television. So. <laughs> that's such a great story. I also have written down, and I didn't ask you yet about Paul Simon. I was, I was also going to ask you about Paul Simon. Just like you're, the cheese. You're, you're reading our minds. Right, just yeah. like the cheese. You cheese. knew that we needed to know about cheese. And Paul, Paul Simon. Simon. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. And I didn't ask you, and you come up yeah. with it. No, but because it, it, it's just that that was one of the highlights. I mean, people say to me, they say, who, who are your favorite people you've yeah. worked with? You know, it's interesting because if you if you speak to different guys in Jules' band, you, I'm sure you'll get a lot of different replies because, you know, if you spoke to our guitarists, mm-hmm. you know, he might say it all like B.B. King. Mm-hmm. You, you know, and sort of uh, Dave Gilmore and stuff like that, you know, and don't get me wrong. I, I love those guys as well. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's definitely more the, the people that I grew up listening to, uh, you know, so my older brothers were Simon and Garfunkel fans. So I was yeah. very familiar with them. Yeah. And, and then Paul Solis. So that was a highlight for me. Definitely Smokey Robinson, because I loved sort of Motown stuff as a kid. 100% Shaka Khan because I had mm-hmm. all albums. Yeah. I was a big, oh. still had a big Shaka Khan. <laughs> right. and, and Al Jarreau, you know, Al Jarreau, I adored him. You know, I listened to his music most of my young adult life, you know. So when I got to play yeah. with him on Jules' show, I'm literally losing my mind, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> these uh, – and, and uh, George Benson was another one. You know, again, used to have all of his albums and still have his albums. And we got to play – with him on on the TV show, so uh, th- those are my and and, and later on uh, I get Amy Winehouse. You know, it was great yeah. working with Amy. Wow. She, she was really special, you know. But those, you know, those are my top. <laughs> it's so weird, you know, people that I would have never dreamt of meeting. Playing mm-hmm. with yeah, when I was a kid, you know? but I but I had all their albums and it's. You know, and you probably have to, you know, you're focusing on what you need to do. You got to kind of take your mind out of that. Like, how did I get here? <laughs> yeah, because, well, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, today, I think it was today I posted on Instagram uh, and I, because I found some vinyl albums about Al Jarreau stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I remembered I that. that 
I played with him, I was such a big fanboy that I just couldn't stop myself. Oh, you had him sign. Had take- yeah. 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 And, he, and he signed them for me, you know. Nice. Yeah. And he was so sweet because one of them was, was uh, Breaking Away, which came out in 81, and it was an old album, of course. And he was so sweet, and I think he wrote on it, he said, oh, Dave, he said, you do realise this has to be back at the museum before five <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, so kind of humble and good-natured, you know, mm-hmm. which, which I was so pleased about. But, but yeah, I mean, I mean th- those are my – those are the ones that I really – love playing with you know but it's i mean they're they're, they're all great and they all have their challenges both musically and and you know and and dealing with personalities as well kind Mm -hmm. of thing you know but that's the great thing about this gig it not only i mean my musicianship has improved massively since i got the jewels gig um but also you know i guess my people skills have as well because you know Mm -hmm. you've had to 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 meet very 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 iconic artists you know and, and you've just got to know how to behave you know because it's easy yeah to say to do the wrong thing and then your career is potentially over <laughs> yeah yeah not to mention that night might not go well if you say the wrong thing <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah your career as well yeah so david yeah, exactly that's so. great talk to you wonderful thank talking you. Thank with you, you. Yeah. i mean I, I think we got you at the right time because you got a lot going on right next couple months yeah maybe beyond yeah but well funnily enough I, I, i've been like doing lots of charts this afternoon uh because yeah. obviously tomorrow it's, it's halloween so i've got to be um, I'm, I'm going to be with oscar we're going to be doing lots yeah. of spooky oh, stuff. Yeah, so fun. i wanted to get my earlier yeah, get today it. you know so, get your homework done so yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah so we're rehearsing on uh, what day is it so yeah so halloween's yes we've got rehearsals with jules on wednesday Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a whole day of rehearsal. Jules doesn't like to rehearse for days on end. He he, he hates that. You know, he's yeah. um, he's a tense man. He's, he's not that kind of thing, you know. So we do just one day, full okay. day of rehearsals, and that we're done. You know? so, okay. so, yeah, um, it was perfect timing. And, and I hope that what I said was good. And do forgive oh, yeah. me, because I know I talk a lot. I talk very, I talk a no, lot. We I like... talk very fast. And... No, 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 we love Very that. clear as well. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Uh, all right. Thanks so much. Have a great evening. <laughs> Take great care. Guys. All right. Thank thanks you. again. Thank you. You've been listening to No Good Music. Today's interview was produced and edited by Rob J. Lilly and recorded via Zoom at the Did You Say? Seven studios in Washington, New Jersey. You can find No Good Music on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Pandora, and almost anywhere you listen to podcasts. Intro and exit music by the band 99%.